Have you ever considered having another child? One More Child is my story of personal growth and a journey of faith. In this book, I share snippets of my life and the reasons for the choices I made early on in my marriage. That was to limit our family size. However, the Lord had other plans and eventually we made a decision to have more children and this changed my life forever. I invite you to read One More Child, which is available in print and on Kindle on Amazon. This is a production of the Ultimate Christian Podcast Network. You've come to the right place. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and I'm your host. On the One More Child podcast, we'll talk about our daily struggles, faith, family, children, relationships, and whatever the Lord brings our way. One thing you can be sure of, I will share helpful solutions and encourage you along your journey in life. And best of all, I know without a shadow of a doubt that the truth will set you free. This is your personal invitation to join me weekly on the One More Child podcast. Welcome. Hey, everyone, and welcome. This is Felice Gerwitz with an episode of the One More Child podcast. Today, we are going to talk about pro-life and family. In this episode, we're going to discuss the history of the pro-life movement and why we need to learn the importance of this ministry for life and what we're up against. Secondly, we're going to do another podcast, and that is going to discuss more so how you can be involved and why now is the time that our voices are needed in this most important movement. First, I want to introduce a man to you that has been instrumental in my life for many years. I have followed him. And he has been just at the forefront of the pro-life movement for many, many years, and that is Father Frank Pavone. Welcome, Father. Well, thank you. Great to be with you today. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've followed your ministry for many, many years and, you know, watched you on TV. And, in fact, I was trying to recall, I'm sure I've been at a conference where you spoke, you know, memory uh, serves that, that there was one somewhere, I'm sure, But I also want um, our listeners to learn about you because, you know, you have an amazing story of how you got involved, um, you know, in the pro-life movement. So share a little bit about that. Yes. Well, you know, as as most will will recall, in 1973, the Supreme Court legalized abortion throughout pregnancy in the United States by its decision, Roe versus Wade. And right after that, pro-life efforts began. In fact, there were some pro-life efforts that began before uh, Roe v. Wade. But the movement really began to grow as people said, children in the womb need protection. We need to do something to reverse this policy. And right around that time, during those years, I was in high school, and I began to become aware of abortion, of the pro-life movement. And it was in 1976 that I went to Washington, D.C., on the first annual March for, uh, well, it was my first annual March for Life. It was the third one because the first was in 74. And I was so impressed by the crowd, by the diversity of it, by the 
by the determination of these people, by the fact that even though they were confronting a very tragic and sad reality, they were very joyful and positive and prayerful. That really awakened me to the pro-life movement. So as a high school senior, I began to get involved in local pro-life activities. And at the same time, I felt the call to the priesthood. Long story short, I ended up getting ordained, and through all my seminary years and into those first years of the priesthood, abortion was always front and center on my on my radar screen and among my concerns. I preached about it frequently uh, as a new priest, and then I came to a point where I experienced uh, what I can only call a call of conscience. I was very happy doing the work in the parish uh, and and doing some teaching as well. But pro-life work became the dominant alarm going off in my mind. And I came to the point where I said, Lord, I, I need to devote myself to this full time. I need to give all my energy, all my effort to defending the unborn, bringing an end to abortion. So as a priest, of course, you have to go ask your bishop for permission. And it just so happened that my bishop at that time was an ardent pro-life advocate as well, Cardinal John O'Connor of New York. And mm -hmm. uh, he knew exactly what I meant when I told him that I felt the call to do this full-time. Gave me permission to do that in 1993 as the first full-time director of Priests for Life, and I've been doing it ever since. Wonderful. And friends, you can find out more information at priestsforlife.org and there is a ton of information on that. You've got a podcast, you have um, live stream TV, uh, all kinds of things uh, really to equip people that want to know more about the pro-life ministry. And so, you know, obviously it's an uphill battle. Um, you're going to, you know, definitely uh, feel that in, in any kind of a ministry and especially uh, one that is, again, such a dark culture as, as we're experiencing now, even more so um, as we record this. It is, um, you know, 2019, and we've heard some horrendous things coming out of New York, of all places, right? Um, you know, yes. when there was such wonderful, um, uh, wonderful bishops. But uh, anyway, uh, it has been, you know, horrendous, the things that we hear. And, you know, Father, it can get us down to the point of us thinking, well, there's nothing I can do. You know, I'm just one person. What can I do? So our next episode is really going to talk about that. But first, you know, one of the things I learned from you was you're very articulate. And I'm an author, so words are important to me. But you used words, and when I would listen to you speak, it was with such simplicity and clarity. And I think that is what, you know, cuts to the quick. You know, like they would say, yes. well, it's the right to choose. And you would say it's the right to life. And, you know, um, you know, it was like this, you know, even the culture of death. I mean, you have a lot of words that probably, you know, in phrases that could be directly attributed to you. Um, and so why is it important not to, you know, because for me, conversations devolve very quickly when I listen to people. Like I've had yes. people crying when I talk to them and getting all emotional. And the only time I'm ever articulate, I always say, is when I'm upset. For some reason, God gives me that mm. articulation. <laughs> I don't get, uh, you know, emotional and I, I, I don't cry and I'm 
you know, I ask a lot of questions. So what you're saying is, you know, I kind of give back to them what they're saying. And so what I found is it's a very highly charged and emotional discussion that really lacks a lot of clarity and understanding. You know, when they say, you know, well, it's my right to choose. And you say, so what you're saying is the baby has no right. There's not an answer. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And what you're pointing out is, is a couple of dimensions here. First, that it's so emotionally volatile because there's so much pain involved. Everyone is hurting from one, for one reason or another by abortion, either because of direct involvement, indirect involvement, or just because of the fact that it's happening all around us. It's very painful. So we have to acknowledge that pain. We have to let people know uh, that we are on their side. You know, we're not judging them. We're not condemning them. We're not against them. We're not their enemy. Uh, and, And if we can convey that by our words and by our tone and by our actions, uh, that should be done first to calm them down, in other words, and say, look, you know, this this isn't personal. You know, this is, we were trying to discuss an issue here. Secondly, then, in the discussion of the issue, the thing that I always point out is that the last thing that abortion supporters want to talk about is abortion. Well, when you think about it, even the example you just gave, they talk about the right to choose. Well, that's not a discussion about abortion. Now you're talking about who has the right to choose something, but you have to start by talking about what the something is. You're talking about, obviously, the right to choose abortion. Well, let's start by talking about what an abortion is. And that is, like you say, that what cuts through the the fog and the distraction and the, the slogans is, is, is just a, a focus on, okay, what is it? And the good news about asking that question is we don't have to figure out what it is. We just have to read the medical textbooks on how you do abortions or the public testimony of, 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 of all kinds of doctors and nurses and physicians, assistants, and others that have taken part in, in abortions. They tell us what it is. It's very clear and it's, it's very uh, public. Once we look at what it is, I mean, once a person actually describes the abortion procedure, or even looks at a picture of it, well, then the discussion becomes much easier because many people right away, just on hearing it or seeing it, will say, oh, I don't, I don't agree with that because they'll hear words like decapitation and dismemberment and uh, pulling off arms and legs. And anybody with a conscience is going to say, you can't do that to a living baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it, it does get you know, upsetting on, on both ends. Um, and so why is it that, you know, there have been these horrendous laws almost, you know, by, you know, a fiat of some government official mm-hmm. um, yes. that are taking place um, on the, on a state level. Now, for those of you, um, you know, we're getting into, especially for those of us who are in the U S and I know we, uh, broadcast worldwide here with with podcasting, but you know we we do have a constitution and we do have legality set and we have a federal government and we have state governments and states have a lot of power outside of the federal government and I think that is what we're seeing now that some of these you know state officials are coming out with horrendous mandates. Uh, yes. Why do you think we're seeing that? 
Well, it's because of the, not of the strength of the other side, but because of their despair. They're scared. The, uh, the pro-abortion side has always used the courts to advance their agenda, starting with Roe v. Wade itself. This has never sprung from the will or the vote of the people. On the other hand, the pro-life movement has always used the legislatures, including in the states, to advance the protection of the unborn, even in the light of Roe v. Wade. What's happening now, thanks especially to President Trump and his administration, is that more and more pro-life judges are being put in place all across the country. And the other side is saying, hey, we want legal abortion. We've always wanted legal abortion all throughout pregnancy. And it's the courts that have protected that. If the courts are moving now in the wrong direction, according to them, the wrong direction, we're going to have to see what we can do in those legislatures that are controlled by Democrats because they are, are the party that favors abortion without any limits. And they say, okay, let's go to those states like New York last year uh, when it changed to full Democrat control. And they say, let's, let's, um, let's grab everything we can right now before the courts change even more. And uh, this is a sign, in other words, that we are winning, even though these laws are more extreme than ever, where New York is saying, hey, there are no limitations on abortion whatsoever. Uh, but it's really a sign of the weakness of the other side, because at the same time, we've got all kinds of pro-life laws being passed all across the country, as they, as they, as they have been for many, many years. And uh, again, the courts are moving in our direction as well. Which is a very good thing. And so, you know, the, the history of abortion, um, you know, again, if someone's tuning in and perhaps really doesn't know, you know, like we hear about Roe Ro versus Wade. And, yes. um, you know, we also, you know, I'm old enough to remember when uh, the church, our Catholic church, was actually thinking about allowing uh, birth control because they were being told scientifically, oh, it's just a bunch of, sh of, of cells. And they wisely decided not to go with birth control, which is an abortifacient, and people don't even realize. But, but um, the person uh, Roe, um, you know, was uh, Norma Corby. Was that her name? She Norma McCorvey. Yes. Yes, and she recanted that yes. whole thing. So just share a little bit about that. You know, basically they used her uh, to make a point. Yes. Well, actually, Norma was a friend of mine, and, and I had the privilege of uh, not only getting to know her, but I actually received her into the Catholic Church back in 1998. Wonderful. But in the, in the early 70s, uh, yeah, they basically the lawyers that wanted to change the laws on abortion recruited her. She was pregnant for the third time, didn't know what to do, and they basically promised her that they would help her. And for her, that meant they would help her, not that they would try to change the law for the whole country. So she was used they never did help her. She ended up giving birth to the baby and, and placing the baby for adoption. But meanwhile, her case, Roe v. Wade, ended up striking down the laws, protecting babies. And when she found out about that by reading the, the Dallas Morning News, that's how she found out that she was technically the winner of the case. She wasn't happy. She was devastated. And, and, and she always was ambivalent about abortion. Um, and, and even in those early years when the, the pro-abortion um, groups uh, said to her, oh, you've got to tell the world who you are, you know, and they had her come out with a book and, and uh, I am Roe, and, you know, they, 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 they had her as a, as a champion. Even in those days, she was uncomfortable with abortion. 
and then as time went on, she uh, uh, she became more and more pro-life until the point where in 1995 she got baptized as a Christian. I actually started working for a pro-life group. I met her in uh, at that time, uh, and then three years later she decided to uh, to become a Catholic. She spent the rest of her life working against abortion, and she she passed away uh, a, a few years ago, but uh, was very very committed to overturning the decision that bears her name. Wonderful. And so, you know, that is a story that we don't hear, you know, um, right. you know, I obviously know about it because I've been involved in the, in the culture of life. And so, um, you know, it, it's something that bears retelling. And so, you know, father, again, the importance of the movement and, you know, what um, we're going to get into what we can do in the next podcast. But, you know, why is it important to know more information? Um, you know, obviously, people can go to uh, priestforlife.org to find out a ton of information there. But, uh, you know, uh, you know, without scaring people, because I don't really like scare tactics, you know, what, what, is, what is on the horizon that we need to know about that you know need, we need to be vil, vil, vigilant about well the key thing to understand is that uh, we have such great opportunity for victory right now abortion is becoming less and less popular uh, but it's still happening at alarming rates and even though those rates are going down people have to work hard together to save lives and in the meanwhile to change the laws and policies so it's great opportunity that's the first thing i would want people to know join the winning team and save more lives and in order to do that you need to equip yourself with knowledge of the issue not only how to talk about it but how to actually do the things that do save lives uh, and how to then to do the things that do change the laws and the public policies because we have the opportunity now to do that. More and more people are waking up, uh, realizing how bad our abortion policy is, realizing how bad abortion itself is. If we don't seize this opportunity now, things could get harder later on if the political winds change again in the wrong direction or if the, uh, you know, people just, just begin forgetting uh, what, uh, what they have been uh, awakened to. So now is a great opportunity, a window of opportunity, to actually bring protection back to the youngest and smallest babies. And that's why we urge people so, uh, so forcefully to you know, get involved in the movement. Everyone can save lives. And here's the thing I always say is that everyone listening to us has to understand there are certain lives that only they can save, certain people only they can reach. And so life literally depends on it for us getting involved in this great movement. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Father Frank, for coming on and sharing with us. And I look forward to our next episode as we discuss exactly what families can do to get involved. So do I. God bless. All right. You are on your way to a life that is focused on joy and hope. Thanks so much for stopping by. Connect with me on social media and visit the podcast page for your show notes at onemorechildpodcast.com. If you have any questions, be sure to write me at felice at mediaangels.com. <laughs>